Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep the conversations open for the public and on the level. As always, you can join us live every Thursday night, and that will be now, and you can also join us on Facebook, hello, or YouTube in the chat, so hello and good evening. You know me, my name is John Rework, and I am a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957, in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up, in no particular order, we have Jason Richards. Hello and good evening. Hello and good evening. What you drinking? Toasting uh, with chocolate milk tonight. Mm, So good. Uh, Jason Richards here, past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821, and Lafayette Lodge number 79. Excellent. All right. Next up, Joe Martinez. <gasps> what you drinking, Joe? I'm uh, drinking Dunkin' Donuts, not sponsoring the show. Not sponsoring the show. And also SodaStream, not sponsoring the show. <laughs> Joe Martinez. Wait, you you Soda streamed your coffee? That would be disgusting. No. That would be cut gross. Yeah. It's not a thing we do here. Who am I? Joe Martinez, uh, worshipful master of Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia, member of my name, BBF Lodge number 15 in the District of Columbia, and Ezekiel Bates Lodge, no number, because it's Massachusetts in Attleboro, uh-huh. Mass. Great to be here. Good call, good call. Does your Nespresso know you're cheating on it? Um, I ran out of Nespresso. Oh! <gasps> How did you do that? I need to start a GoFundMe. My my Amazon subscription failed me. A and I'm out, of, I'm out of Nespresso pods. While Joe cries in his Duncan, last but not least, Robert Johnson. I'm sorry. I'm just, just really freaked out that he ran out of Nespresso. What do we do? You got to pull up Brad Drew and order them by like the truckload. I do. Yeah, I usually I usually just drop like I usually just order like two hundred dollars worth of coffee and it lasts me forever. But you know, maybe it's just because I like see Joe every month and I drink his coffee when I'm there. You did drink that's, quite a bit my Nespresso. That is true. Yes. Yeah, see. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Who are yeah, you, Robert, Robert Johnson. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Johnson, Waukegan <laughs> Lodge, seventy-eight past master, current sitting secretary over at Space Novum eleven eighty-three. And member of various other orders and lodges around the country, uh, just as Joe and John and Jason are as well. They were contintinental masons, continental and intercontinental men. Mm-hmm. Intercontinental, intercontinental for you three. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Already commenting on the lack of beard that uh, you've you've made an adjustment in your life, Robert, and it is noticed. Yeah, you know, I mean, I grow the beard all all winter long as like a a spiritual kind of thing, and then it's like springtime and I I shave it off. Enjoy more it. more accurate than Puxatani Phil. Is that like six more weeks of winter if Robert <laughs> sees his beard? Just goes down yeah. to the goatee. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I Can we talk Robert's about beard. morality and let's talk about pleased. morality, dog? But first, let's thank all the patrons who've been supporting the show. You guys rock. Uh, if you'd like to join some of the super secret chat, head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable, and we can join you uh, inside of their Knights and Squires Facebook group and uh, lots of other little cool stuff along the way. So 
Thanks in advance. You guys awesome. Are awesome too. Let's head over to the topic of tonight, which is not morals and dogma per se. Um, if you are familiar with, we don't have the time. <laughs> I was going to do a live reading, so let's start with uh, the preface, page the one. Preface. We're not going to do that right now. Uh, would be a good show topic, not for tonight, because if you've been paying attention, it's actually about morality and dogma. Uh, this is a topic that Jason came up with, which. Um, you know, posits an interesting question, which we'll get to a little bit later. But we want to talk about what does morality and dogma have to do with um, the belief system of Freemasonry. So, uh, in fact, at this point, I'll probably hand it over to Jason to kind of set the stage, as it were, for tonight's topic. Go ahead, Jason. So, the intersection of morality and religion within Freemasonry gets a little bit fuzzy and dicey. And I noticed that when I was trying to explain to, you know, very hyper-religious folks, including but not limited to my own parents, um, there were some questions on what the line is where, you know, between, you know, religion and dogmatic assumptions and, and Freemasonry. And so... Um, I took a hard look at, at least in the Blue Lodge, you know, the Blue Lodge morality and really the, you know, the moral assumptions that could be defined as, you know, a sectarian dogmatic assumption. And I was able to find two. Um, Interesting. So and before so you, into, I, before I you enumerate that, those. I'm not, I'm. I'm not going to enumerate those. Cool. All all context. Give me two more sentences. <laughs> um, <laughs> get off my back, bro. Wait, 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 wait. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no. We will we will get into those and and more tonight. But um, you know, Freemasonry is said to be a you know brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. We we say members, at least in, in our respective jurisdictions, have to profess a belief in the supreme being. But we, whatever that form, that supreme being it takes to you is really your business and your own journey. And we, we don't really get hung up on that too much um, or try not to. So it, it's very it's a very ecumenical organization, except for a couple places where... I think it becomes a little bit more sectarian in its in its assumptions <clears throat> than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just to <laughs> just to build on that, I did want to you know, w you'll find often when you get into you know, past the honeymoon phase of Freemasonry that you know they'll say that Freemasonry is many things to many people, and because we've talked about in the past how it pulls from all these different sources of uh, philosophy and mystery schools, etc that it becomes this syncretic system, meaning it's just kind of mashed all these things together into a really cool mashup. But yet, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not wholly unconstrained, right? We're not talking about like the, the uh, universal Unitarian, what, what's the, uh, the UU church? You know what? Unitarian Universalist. That's the one. Yeah. So it, it's not quite the, there's, any way to practice Freemason, right? There, there are some constraints, but some of them I found were not explicitly put out there, right? There were big assumptions going forward, and I could see how 
if you were to find these later and you had, um, you know, a non-traditional viewpoint of the world, that some of it could be a little off-putting. So Freemasonry is kind of like a toddler playing with Play-Doh. Now, the toddler is confined to playing with Play-Doh on the table. But the toddler smashes all the different Play-Doh colors together. It's still on the table. But Not in my house. I hate when they mix the colors. Oh, yeah, it's awful. I don't like that. My OCD like that. kicks it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> they, but that's kind of like toddler, Freemasonry. Yeah. What if this toddler eats the Play-Doh? Where's the analogy there to Freemasonry? Um, then that toddler is inculcating... Uh the lessons of the fraternity and will hopefully not expel the he's <laughs> masticating <laughs> no, will hopefully not uh, vomit those up later how gastronomic of you <laughs> so since since i was the last one to talk i was just going to chime into what jason said and and frame the conversation correctly right because we can all agree uh are you saying then, that i framed it incorrectly no I was adding more frames to your frames. So it's like, it's like a mat on a painting. Okay. You're the frame on the mat. We make it pretty. Here okay. comes a new, new color of Play-Doh. Go. Yes. So uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> just want to set the stage for uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. Cause I think as soon as Jason started talking, people were like, oh, wait a minute, what dogma, what are you talking about? So we can all agree that Joe's mat is green bean colored. Oh, it is that uh, Freemasonry is not a religion and it is always told to people that is never to be a substitute for religion, right? It offers no path to salvation, which is what most religious systems do, right? Um, and it doesn't provide a faith system of its own, right? And even though we, you know, depending on our ritual and, and you know, what, what book it comes from, you know, we do say it's not a religion, but it is religious, right? Because there is a spiritual message that gets put across, but it doesn't have a specific dogma or theology as we would think about it in a, in a church setting. So that's my Play-Doh. Now, see, I think I'm, I'm looking at RJ over here because I've heard RJ say in sometimes no uncertain terms, no, free, Freemasonry could totally be a religion. Explain. It, <clears throat> I think it is a religion. Uh, but I think it's a specific type of practice. And that is that Freemasonry, like you said, Freemasonry is many things to many people. And I think it is, it is so due to the way it's been practiced for a long time. And um, if you were to roll back and you would practice Freemasonry, the way um, I, I think we would all wish it to have been, uh, meaning if you got the philosophy out of it and you did the thing and you also helped the community, if you did all those things, uh, I think you could say that is Freemasonry. It isn't all these other things. Because when people say Freemasonry is many things to many people, I just say uh BS, right? Like, I, I don't think so. I think it's many things to many people by mistake. Uh, and I think that's just due to the sheer number of people that come in and, and this, whatever, like people find a home and it's great. 
Um, Robert, that's rather elitist. (laughs) Totally elitist. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I just feel like, I mean, but also, I've talked about this before, like it kind of doesn't matter um, what anybody's particular path is because it's not yours. So like, I'm not going to, like I used to be one of these, you got to do it this way, you know, like very kind of TO minded and stuff. And, And the thing is, is that, you know, the more you study on these practices, the more you study uh, the so-called quote-unquote Western mystery tradition, um, like those kinds of things, you find that um, they're all kind of broken traditions. People find meaning in what they're going to find meaning in, and they leave the rest. And um, it, you also kind of understand after a, at a point that there's nothing um, that forcing other people are going to, to do something is, is going to gain you on your spiritual path, right? And that people also are going to have cognizant breaks. They, they're not ready for some th- some things, and, and that's fine. So I would just say that, yeah, I, I think Freemasonry is a religion in a sense. Um, Ernest Borgnine thought so also. Uh, and you can take that in context, and he said that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, was. He, he did use it as his religion, yes. Yeah. But, you know, you said something interesting, Robert, that I want to jump off on, where he says, uh, it, it, one one analogy he keeps coming to mind for me is kind of like if you were to go to a church, right, and you find that the people don't understand their book of faith or don't understand the practices that make this religion or this denomination specific compared to others, right? And so you see, that never good, happened in American Christian. Church. Well, that's what I'm saying. You see, good people doing good things together, enjoying each other's company, being organized around people of like mind. But if you were to actually ask, like, okay, where in the Bible does it say that God helps those who help themselves? And you'll find out that most people believe that's in the Bible, and it's not in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> and so, so the same thing is true about Freemasonry, right? Where you could say, well, okay, well, what, what is it that makes you know we take good men and make them better how well then you're going to get if there's 10 people you're going to get 12 answers right of what that what that actually means and so uh, and we we know that there there are some things that are pretty uh either um i wouldn't say self-explanatory but are laid out with specific terms instructions these symbols are defined this way um, and then, you know, of course, one of my pet peeves is when people say, oh, well, you know, the, the level means this to me, and it's totally way off of what the original intent of the ritual authors were. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of my pet peeves, but well, know, how do you feel because, about, how do you, how do you feel about this, John, right? Like, so Freemasonry is many things to many people, like they take the different tools and they interpret them different ways. Uh, I, I had a, um, a, a philosophy professor once, uh, you know, he, he posed this great question about subjective and objective um, truths. Uh, so like personal truth, right? And, and we're, we're, we very much live in a society today that is like, you live your truth, bro. And um, we believe this. I did right? my we research. Did. <laughs> <laughs> so when we think about objective truth is like the whole truth, and they say, well, there is no objective truth. Right. But here comes... Here's, here's like the big problem is that if I believe that there is subjective truth 
and John believes he has the greatest God, and I believe I have the greatest God. That My subjective God beat up truth, your God, right? Yeah, then subjective truth cannot be true. Like it just doesn't work. So, like there has to be set, defined dogma to the system. Some constraint, um, and some boundary. There has to be. Yeah. I see Joe. Joe thinking really hard. I'm not. I'm. I'm trying to figure out because you know me. I'll. I'll just blurt out a, a curse word and, and then just roll with that. But I don't want to do that. No. I. <laughs> I think. I think that instead of calling it dogma, I think because let, let's talk about where where this ritual came from. Right. We we're talking about a predominantly Christian society that was Christian on paper. But these were also Enlightenment philosophers that were writing our ritual, right? They right. were tired of people getting killed because they believed in this type of Jesus versus this type of Jesus. So they got they were sick of organized religion, right? You had 150 years of wars over religion. And in Europe, we're talking about it's not like um, Christianity versus Islam. It's Christianity versus Christianity. Right. So these Rock guys, the you know, reformation versus counter reformation versus absolutely. counter to the counter reformation. You know, it, it was it was kind of a you know the enlightenment was kind of a okay we're tired of this organized religion thing you people are all crazy and all you do is fight over each other so let's find some common ground and talk about the you know the beauty of nature or you know those commonalities that we could all find amongst each other without going to a a, a church or a or a chapel or a um, a cathedral you know so well, it was it was more than that too it was turning inward to find truth within yourself you know, as a, as a response to, or as a return to Neoplatonic and Hermetic ideas. I, I would say, so I would say that, I would say that the Protestant Reformation kind of brought that on itself. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, but we could, that could be its own show, but so you had these inklings of, we were tired of, you know, wars over religion and, you know, the enlightenment was kind of uh, an, a response to that. And these were the people that wrote our ritual and where did they pull from? They pull from some of the most beautiful allegories that we find in the volume of sacred law at the time, which in Europe was predominantly the, the King James Bible, right? So they were cognizant of it. They weren't um, exactly to John's point. They were, um, you know, they definitely weren't those people that, you know, go to church and don't know where things are in the Bible, you know, which is the majority of the masses anyway. Yeah. But to this they day, did find, to this day, you know, but they did find those those points of commonality, which we could then create an initiatic system around. Maybe. So one thing I wanted to get into just some definition terms, right? So what do we mean when we say dogma? So explicitly that if we are to say that there are some dogmatic constraints or boundaries in the fraternity, one definition of dogma specifically is a principle or set of principles that are laid down by some authority as incontrovertibly true right these are these are absolutely true they're not to be debated they're not to be discussed they're not to be changed that there are there is a line that you uh you either follow this path or you believe this or you're not in the end club right you, you're either you're either all in or you're all out for this specific thing right so there are you know, different levels or different layers of that in other religious organizations, right? You know, there are some that are very stern and, and very strict, and there are some that are a little bit more looser. Um, but yet we're here to talk about tonight 
that we believe there's at least two, probably more, throw your ideas in the chat, of two areas where we believe that there are some, some absolutes in Freemasonry. And so the obvious one we've talked about <clears throat> in previous episode, <clears throat> said it many times, the belief in a supreme being, or the belief in God, or the belief in the God of the Abrahamic religions, right? But there's there's always a little flexibility there. God we, as creator. God yeah. as creator. But no atheist can be made a Mason. I mean, essentially, like you could you could really just boil that down to some sort of idea of intelligent design. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> you think so? But no atheist can be made a Mason. We make that Except pretty. For yes. That's right. Except for the exception. But otherwise. There is a dogmatic principle there that uh, we do, in general, in Freemasonry, set that as a threshold that, you know, we we make sure that that is a bar that you have to commit to, that that you cannot debate to become a Freemason. It's a landmark. It is one of the landmarks, absolutely. Before before we move on, I want to know why that is so important. Aren't there good men that are atheists? In France. Aren't there? <laughs> so the second dogmatic principle is... No, I'm kidding. <sighs> you got so, let's, so let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. <clears throat> so Freemasonry gives us kind of the Masonic reason why. Um, you know, um, an atheist can't be made a Mason. And it all has to to deal with the oath or the obligation you take before God, um, you know, when receiving the degrees. And so it's it is that is seen as a pro, a solemn promise between you and God. And there is the thought that if you do not believe in God, then that cheapens that obligation to the level where you can't really be held accountable for it yeah we're talking in the green room a little bit about having the concept of a supreme being as a constraint on your obligation or on your oaths that that makes it that um a punitive fashion that's why we have penalties right that's why we have penalties of breaking these oaths joe i i disagree a little bit and and we did talk about it in the green room but jason said something really poignant that it it cheapens it and i i think that's having, not my belief no i but that's what you said i i understand that but right just right. just to touch on what you you yes i'm not saying you said that don't get don't get sassy i love you don't be like that i love you um, too i love you more so um I, probably yeah so <laughs> the, um I, lost, I almost lost my train of thought so the, for me and, and i'm stepping outside of the outside of the realm of a Masonic obligation. So I'm, I'm thinking of other oaths I've taken in my life. Um, and for me, it's more of a, not a cheapens it kind of thing, but I think it's, it's you're, you're making a promise or a covenant to something greater than yourself, right? It's not just so I, my argument would be for the atheist, the obligation is really for you and for you alone. And there's nothing outside of that, right? So it's a solitary thing. And anybody with an eight or a nine year old knows that, you know, you, you, you can't 
you can't make promises outside of yourself, right? Because you're just in your own little sphere and that's what you know. So for me, it's, you're making, uh, I guess covenant is really a, re a really good word for it. You're, you're making a, a promise to something larger than yourself. And, and the belief in that strengthens it and not, well, if you do something bad, you know, bad stuff's going to happen. So, you, so you know? let me, let me pull that thread because then even an atheist in a court of law will promise, swear, oath, whatever, that they were telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And so then what is the penalty, right? The penalty of that would be perjury, would be, you know, jail time. So they are, to use your logic, <clears throat> right, that they are swearing above something bigger than themselves, that if they, if they do lie, if they do not take Wrong. this, not take this, oath earnestly, then there will be a repercussion of said effect. I have a response to that. What is your so, response, Joe? My response to your logic about my logic would be that atheist that is um, swearing to tell the truth in a court case is not trying to join an organization that whose entire belief structure is based around having a belief in God, right? So, um, you know, outside of it being a social club and outside of it being a charity and outside of it being a fraternal organization, it's that common pillar that stands in there of a belief in deity, right? So that dude who is, you know, perjuring himself in court, isn't trying to get into the club. So, you know, that's my argument to your argument. And so my so argument to your argument to go ahead, RJ. Uh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> here's, here's where I find this, this gray area that I find actually really uncomfortable talking about because, um, there have been some intense debates amongst, uh, especially even recently, Masonic scholars on the idea of a deist being able to join a Masonic lodge. Right. Uh, people will make the comment that, of course, you know, the founding fathers, they were deists or whatever. And, and of course, some of them were, not all of them. And the type of deism that was practiced in the 18th century is much different than what is espoused today through like organizations like deism.com and, and Bob Johnson, no relation. Um, <clears throat> however, um, the, the thing that's kind of weird is as a believer in a creator, a deist doesn't necessarily believe in any kind of judgment. So like while we may swear, to the deity, um, it it maybe is it still as powerful if oh, if yeah. I don't believe that there's going to be God will punish me for right. breaking my you know my Ooh. oath. Are you there won't the, be held you know, accountable, right? I, yeah, how how like I will be held accountable because like if I mess up or whatever, my my brothers will kick me out or I have to live with the weight of that or, or whatever the the case is. But like if there's no uh, Dante's Inferno waiting for me per se, then, then where do we land? Right. I mean, I would, I think the end of your comment was rhetorical, but I, I just feel the need to talk cause I'm a gabber, but I think that, and, and Robert knows that, um, yeah, I still hold to the fact. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about a lightning bolt hitting me if I break my obligation. Right. Or, you know, a bus running into me if I, um, break one of the, you know, the many things that you, you hear in your master Mason's obligation. I still think it's a, a belief in something greater than yourself brings with it a responsibility that is just not a solitary responsibility. And 
it doesn't have to have, like I said, exactly like you said, it doesn't have Dante's Inferno at the end, the nine circles of hell and, you know, really weird stuff happening along the way. Um, it's just that, that, that responsibility that you make between that compact between you and your creator, whatever you call it. Interesting. So, um, I don't know how to really cut this off because I want to get to the second point, which is it also... It leads into it, though. It I does. think it right? does. Nicely, yeah, so... so it does, because... So, why don't, why don't we let Jason segue... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...into... Go, Jason. ...the second point, when we're all talking about deism versus punitive God versus your obligation. So, so the first point is belief in supreme being i i say belief as a supreme being who is the creator in uh, specifically because that is called out specifically uh in masonic rituals and teachings uh the second dogmatic assertion that i see made within the actual teachings of blue lodge freemasonry itself is the permanence and you know the the permanence of the soul and the persistence of the soul after after death something else that is beyond the grave that uh, yes. yeah so i did find that to be interesting too right uh coming from a christian context and having the afterlife as as one of the aspirations of a well-spent life i could see that as a natural insertion to the ritual. But then to your point, the more we think about it is that really wasn't on the petition, right? That, that, uh, when you filled it out that, Hey, by the way, uh, some of the morality plays we're going to have explicitly discuss, not, not symbolically, the explicitly discuss the immortality of the soul and aspirations beyond the grave uh, for a well-spent application of Masonic principles, period. Like, there's no debate on that. And most right. Preston, yeah. Preston Webb there's jurisdictions... There's an opening prayer that basically says, yeah, yeah, hopefully you let us in, God. So if you're like, you know, the explicit scientific, you might believe there's a supreme being, but then like, once I'm done, body's gonna rot in the ground, nothing else beyond that. Yeah, but I mean, science. I know I know Robert has an answer for that. Yeah, one. I mean, ther right? Thermodynamics already says like you just continue to exist regardless. So I mean, yes. you don't you don't have to worry. Matter about can neither be created soul. nor destroyed. Your energy will go somewhere else. Yeah, you're you're fine. After you, you don't you don't you don't need anybody to teach you anything. You already well, you already get what it. happens you're, to your consciousness though. That's it, right? Like who it's knows? It is the afterlife. Yeah, so, you become a star. We're all stardust anyway. We're all stardust, yes. Mm. You're a superstar. That is what you are. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating thing that we really take for granted. And then the, the follow on question for me becomes okay, if we are no longer a Christian organization, right? We're, we are open to many faiths, many religions that, that do have the explicit first primary dogmatic principle of belief in a supreme being. After that, it gets complicated when uh, dogmatic principle one and two conflict, right? Because what if you believe in supreme, supreme being, but do not believe in the immortality of the soul? But yet we inculcate that 
in our Masonic degrees. So how does one reconcile wrestle with this supposedly, you know, contradictory set of ideas? Well, so one, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Robert. So one, you know, when you look at the religions of the book, uh, typically Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, you, you see that same motif of the immortality of the soul put down as a dogmatic assertion. And so you're just different things that happen to you after, after you perish. So I still think even though it's a dogmatic assertion still covers or covered the primary audience for Freemasonry back with the advent of speculative masonry in the 1700s. Well, I I would add that outside of the, the Abrahamic faiths, you do have other faith systems that also believe in, you know, an immortality of the soul or your soul moving on to other planes. Um, you know, Hinduism, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are other faith systems outside of the Abrahamic faith, but again, to, to, you know, to go back to my point about who was writing our ritual, you had angry and very intelligent enlightenment thinkers, um, who, wanted something allegorical to frame a system around. All right. Messed around with the MT. So what if, what if, uh, the dogmatic principle number two was stricken from the record and that taking out the immortality of the soul as, as a common thread through the Masonic experience, uh, would that change lessen, dilute the Masonic experience? Or would it make it better? I think there's a I think there's plenty of people who probably don't believe in the immortality of the soul who are already Freemasons. Right. I, I, yeah. Just uh, to just to th- pull that thread real quick too. When you look at religious trends, more and more of the younger generation are becoming more um, less religious, more spiritual, and so yeah. that's going to be very fungible over time. Yeah, I think like, look at, um, and this is a terrible example because of the things that are going on right now within the organization, but like with the Knight Templar per se, right? We, there, there are a number of brethren who are, uh, Muslim, who are Buddhist, who are Jewish, who have joined the commandery, right? And it's like, there is a, a sort of a, you're a brother that's good enough for me, uh, to join the commandery. Ah, so, um, but, but to that, right. What if that's, what if that's where we, we kind of land in Freemasonry, right? Like, oh, he, he believes in the creator, but does he believe in the, you know, eternal soul, uh, whatever you want to call it. I mean, a lot of those terms are really weird because they, they do invoke this kind of, uh, I don't know, Christian eth like kind of mythology that, that that bears down on us because we grew up in the Western world, which is kind of like the foundation stone of of most of America is uh, some form of Christianity or Judaism, and so we've got a lot of that, and we refer everything back to that. And then as the younger generations come through, and they feel like they're you know like they take their first psychology class, like Psych One Hundred One, and all of a sudden like they're like brilliant and they think they know everything, like. We we come up and we come out into the world and then we all of a sudden think like, oh, we know everything and Christianity sucks and they stole Christmas and <laughs> all this stuff, right? And, and and then we just, they like push hard against 
everything religious. Like everything religious is Council bad, of Nicaea but, was a sham. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so every little nuance, every little thing that reminds them of some organized religion in some fashion all comes back to like negativity. And so things like, you know, belief in the eternity of the soul or, or whatever else seems to like make people feel, I don't know. I, I feel like they just, they, they want to push, like repel, like uh, two North magnets or something. It's, it's odd. Well, and our, our Masonic ritual emphasizes, double downs uh, on the positive aspects of the immortality of the soul, but but I guess you could say implies the, the opposite is true. If you have the immortality of the soul and you don't follow Masonic principles and your religious faith principles, you're going to go to the nasty place, right? The bad place, right? That's, I mean, I would... I'm glad you said implies because I can't think of any Masonic ritual that says if you do this, you're going to go to Poo Poo Town. You right. Know, and, but we talk a lot and, about, right. oh, you're going to have the, the, the wages of a well-spent life, blah, 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 blah. But we don't hear the, and if you don't, see you later. I think what's expressed is the the hope of immortality and the hope of going to the good place as opposed to the bad place. Um, but it's never... Uh, that warning of you better do all these Masonic things or else you go to, to Poo Poo Town or whatever Joe called it. Um, it's, it's not it expressed. It's, I have kids in my house. So I have, thinly veiled my, and implied. My vocabulary is awful because I have small children in my home. So I apologize to YouTube land. Potty Town. Potty Town. Can you take me to Poopy Town? <laughs> Anyway, that's a different YouTube channel. In fact, that might be like an like an old thing. Two brothers, one cup. Two masons, one apron. Yeah. Oh. Back to immortality of the soul. Um, Back to immortality of the soul. Yeah. So, like, can again? So, my original question stands: If you remove that, does it change the? belief structure of Freemasonry as a whole, right? Because we are a civic organization that has some, you know, early roots in, in the Christian faith as it was founded, has become more tolerant of other uh, religious beliefs and has really kind of opened that aperture. Is that, is that really a constraint? Is that stopping good men who might believe otherwise? Yes. Uh, you with the uh, skull cap. Yes. Hello, the potty mouth guy. I say no, and here's why. Okay. Because as long as you have that defining first principle of having a belief in a creator, you know, whether he or she or it, whatever you choose to call it, stays there and nurtures you and is there for you and loves you, um, or created you and then went off to do other things because the universe is a really huge place. Um you still have that core belief there. So, you know, going back to the, you know, whether Jason doesn't believe in the immortality of the soul, we still have that common framework of a belief in something bigger than us. I'm just using you as an example. Um, I know to, to, to hang our hats on. And for me, that would be enough. Um, and there are, there absolutely are religious systems that don't explicitly speak about an eternal soul or the immortality of the soul. Right. So, you absolutely do need a at an altar with people that already do do that. So 
Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. Should they be expelled from Freemasonry? I can think of many other people that should be expelled from yes. Freemasonry before we expel those that don't believe. That was a big loaded question. That to me so, just isn't bang, bang. at all a deal breaker. But it's a doma- yeah. dogmatic principle. It is something that is intertwined in our, and repeated many times in our ritual. That that it is, is an assumption. But yes, yes, but it's not a requirement for membership. True. It might change the meaning of the degrees and your relationship with the teachings of Freemasonry, but it is not something that precludes anyone from joining, unlike the first dogmatic principle we discussed earlier. Yeah, and, and really to think about it, somebody had mentioned in the chat, they said I they started talking about the law of thermodynamics but didn't use the, the term. But I, I think what's kind of interesting too is to pull a thread on the nuances of, of the entire idea. Like you believe in heaven, like you driving around in a Corvette with a hot blonde and a bunch of beers in heaven, like is that it? Or are you talking about uh uh you know what <laughs> what what uh scripture likely is meaning, right? Like hell is a forever existence separated from God. Right. Or to be one with God uh is the heaven experience. And then what does that truly mean? Uh, the guy, his name escapes me and shame on me. He wrote uh, the Testament of today. And in it, he talks about uh, creating heaven now. Uh, through your actions now, you are creating this this idea of heaven. And, you know, when I die, of course, my soul or my my energy goes forever, right? But what happens next is is I don't know, right? Like it is something that would almost be considered audacious to speculate upon. And so uh, when we think about that, I think, you know, for me, I, I don't believe in judgment. I think uh, I'm going to get all my judgment I have probably right here and I have to live with my actions. I'm creating uh, the heaven or the hell I want based on my actions right here. And um, but those those don't really matter. When we're talking about the soul existing into, you know, the boundless realms of, of eternity, right? Uh, like, what what can we mean by the soul in terms of like its individual interpretation? You know, if 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 a lodge is particularly Christian leaning, do, do they mean you know, like you've accepted uh, Christ as you know through grace and you follow this path of righteousness and um, you know, you, you sit at the right hand or, or is it something else, right? Like you go through the metempsychosis, you know, and you, you come back and you do something else or, um, that nuance I think is really important to think about because, um, I think there's probably likely guys who have been not voted in based on their interpretation of a principle that isn't outlined in any of the, the real three things we talk about, which is, um, I gotta be careful with three fingers. Um, the the belief in in supreme being as as our my state's uh, requirement says uh be- so the the supreme being no felonies and um but if you have them maybe you still get in and and i like that um and then the other is uh, can you pay the dues <laughs> we don't mention we do, don't mention do you, uh, do you have anything in your bank remember, account i don't remember mackie mentioning uh the felony thing is that one of his landmarks 
you know, I think we're going back to the no. landmark. <laughs> well, we're talking about two of the landmarks, so true. Yeah, you know, two of the seven or twenty-five or fifty, depending mm-hmm. on what they're all they're made up. Anyway. Depending on the time of day, yeah. But two of the most dogmatic ones, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, so now uh, the another question I have for you guys is: um, Should there be like, what if you could like create another dogmatic principle of uh, Freemasonry? Would you first first one, and then second, what what would that be? And it doesn't have to be specific; it can just kind of be in this general area because I don't put you on the spot. Uh, Joe, I would yes, I will say no. Because for me, the first one is enough for me. It means that I can kneel at an altar with a Buddhist and a Sikh and a Hindu and a Muslim brother and a Jewish brother. And, you know, the 45,000 different denominations of Christianity, we can all kneel together if we all have that as our core common belief. I think the more dogma you add to something, as we've seen, as history tells us, the crappier it gets, right? Um, yeah. I mean, this is this is history, right? It's not a judgment call. This is a historical fact. The more dogma, and right, you defined dogma exactly right uh, earlier in the show when you said it is something that should be taken as a fact from an authority. Period. That's it. Yep. Um, so I think the more of those that we add, the more stringent we become, and some flavors of Freemasonry are actually dealing with the backlash of that. Whose authority? <clears throat> yeah, no, you you get yeah, you get so, Tennessee, you get Georgia, you get whatever's going on with the Grand Encampment right now. Right. Whatever's like, going on with the authority, right? Whatever, yeah. whatever dogmatic principles that authority prescribes to, right, could be a danger of that. I will, I will say just for funsies that I might add an I might add an additional dogmatic principle, and it's a very loose one. Um, but one could prescribe it as, you know, we have the belief in the Supreme being, we have, you know, the, maybe the immortality of the soul, depending on the interpretation or your ritual. And I would say that there could possibly be a new landmark that I would be, be willing to propose. Are you ready? Y'all sitting down for this? You ready? Will Wheaton's law, which I know Jason, see, that likes. was going to see, that was going <laughs> to be mine. So uh, let me let me put it another way. Uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, they have a fan conduct policy that they say at you know beginning of every game, right? Where it's it's really codified in four simple words: "Don't be a jerk," right? So that is something that uh, I I would like to constrain our membership to, and that they should prescribe to that uh, that ser- series of principles, uh, where it would make the Masonic experience a little bit better. So that's uh, that's my story. Well, never happen. Never happen. <laughs> yeah, technically, never, Wheaton's never. law says don't be a dick. See, I was going to make it PG or a G, and you just made it PG. So here we go. Right. Okay. So say more, Mister. Don't be a Richard. Don't, don't be, be a. Richard. Don't be a Jason Richards. <laughs> don't be a Jason Dix. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I. I think. <clears throat> As an as an organization, I think we we ascribe to a lot of lofty goals. You know, Masonic teachings, you know, really encourage us to be the best. 
uh, selves, be our best selves. And there are a lot of folks in the fraternity who are fallible and we get caught up in our passions and some, some more than others, some more pervasive than others. And you especially find, you know, these days that, you know, Freemasonry being what it is in a declining membership with too many appendant bodies to, to keep track of and an unwillingness to just let those die out the way they should. Um, Freemasonry kind of rewards the people who show up for everything, regardless of the, you know, countenance and the, you know, the tact or lack thereof on the part of those members. So if you have Bob showing up to absolutely everything, but he's always angry and, you know, cussing brothers out in meetings, like, <clears throat> that to me, you know, Freemasonry says, oh, yeah, we can always count on Bob to fill that officer's chair. But if he's driving away other members and causing other members to demit or go elsewhere, like, is that really a service? And is that really something that is helping move the fraternity in the right direction? Well, not not to not to belabor the point, but I think it goes back to what Robert was talking about is, is let's, let's try and apply Wheaton's law, right? Don't be a jerk or don't be a D. It's kind of hard to do when you have so many different people joining for so many different reasons. There's, you lose that common framework of, you know, I'm here to do X and I'm, I'm not going to say what the right answer is. I know what the right answer is for me and it works for me. Um, and it keeps me showing up and not, you know, never showing up again. So I'm not here to tell you what, what your truth is, but if you don't have that common framework of why we're all there, you're going to get a wide variety of different types of personalities and opinions and, and the way that things should be done, right? Instead of that common core of, well, this is the way we do Freemasonry. So, you know, again, back to the explosion in membership, you have a thousand different opinions and we've kind of had to live with that for the last century or two. Robert, what say you? I, I really like everything you guys have been talking about. In particular, I think the don't be a jerk rule is um, it, it kind of touches or in some way might even be a replacement in the future for the first, which was, right, do you believe in the deity? Because the belief in the deity uh, at least as it was told to me, was was required because otherwise no oath or obligation would have become binding upon me. And is this because of a judgment? And if I don't believe in judgment, then how does that work? But more importantly, what if what if it just is like you are swearing, you know, on yourself that or to the creation that uh, you're not going to be a jerk. And that when you do something, you're doing it for the good of humanity. There's another line from Ritual that says, you know, God makes man dependent on each other. So, the, you know, we are dependent on each other for, for all sorts of things. And to know that we're all coming together for the one purpose of maybe like this big umbrella, don't be a jerk, what falls underneath it, 
charity and helping and making the world better and studying and becoming better and esoteric, you know, the thing that I would avoid. And I think what's happened uh, quite a bit and is a danger to this is that while I believe Freemasonry leads, it is not a thing, but leads to a specific core singular teaching that is the overarching secret to all things within like the esoteric tradition, Eastern or Western. I would be a jerk if I wanted to push that and said something like, we only take esoteric brothers here. Or, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Turn it into a Gnostic church? I mean, the thing is, like, the Gnostics, you know, when you want to think about, uh, I don't know, 340, uh, what is it, 340 CE, right? Gnostics or whatever, they're, they're doing all these things. And you have to have a specific core set of beliefs that, that all lead to like the enlightenment of the individual so that you can get back to God. Um, the Freemason reason isn't necessarily that, right? And why should we force that? And the reason I bring that up specifically is because we see that a lot in, in a lot of different Masonic lodges and, and things, but that might be right for, you know, any number of us, probably several of us, but yeah, I, I think, ensuring um the maybe as joe said uh, i'll even backpedal just the belief in the the creation or whatever you want to say is, is probably where i would go <clears throat> well i was actually going to go out of my way to agree with your point which was better than my point but um no i think just just to tie a bow on that i as you were talking what i was thinking about was um we have this when, when you were talking about people that you know when we're talking about dante's inferno and how uh, people picture judgment and things like that. You have its obverse. You have people think of heaven as the pearly gates and these lovely, you know, buildings and stuff and, you know, a, a wonderful castle on a hill, that kind of thing. But when you get down to it, a lot of it is really hermetic, right? It's, it's, I envision my eternity the way I envision reality now, right? So we're kind of creating, and I think that's one of the big points about Freemasonry. And I think that's why it's, immortality of the soul isn't as important as the first one, because if I'm to your point, creating heaven on earth, I'm doing good stuff, right? Um, whether it's paving the way for a better tomorrow, or I'm just making the world a better place today in just my tiny little circle, that's enough for me. Um, and if I get brownie points in heaven later, that's even better, but it's not, it's not a requirement to not be a jerk today. Boom. All right, so let's head over to Robert for final thoughts, and we'll go around and wrap things up. Robert, this is the way. You know, it's been a while since we've had an epic conversation like this. Yeah, this is great. Let's see I, budget. I, I enjoyed. That was fun. I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the back and forth. I enjoyed the interrupting. I because I think we, it was really like sitting around the table, and I hope hope everybody watching listening or was in the youtube channel or maybe you're listening to this in the next few days in your car or whatever and you're yelling at the, the radio um like that's i love that about this this particular program and, and hanging out with you guys and everybody online because <clears throat> we we get emails and things with hey i had a thought about episode you know 371 um and <laughs> like y'all open up our minds even more so it just just thanks to everybody who listens and watches and it was awesome to see i want to i want to just give a shout out to um brother adam kendall out in uh, california who uh was inducted into the blue friars congratulations uh james morgan you gave a killer talk uh 
at the Philalethes uh, meeting at Masonic Week. So good job there. And um, yeah. Uh, oh, last last thing I have to give kind of a shout out. I picked. I got my. I got my uh, Massachusetts uh, Freemason magazine, the Trowel, and uh, Masonic Historical and Preservation Society is featured here on page number 23. And they talk about Masonic curators. Uh, those guys Ooh. took the, the, the program that I started a while back and we, we killed it after 52 episodes because I just ran out of things to talk about. And these guys breathed new life into it. And uh, so huge, huge thanks to uh, Keith McKinnon of the Masonic Preservation Society, uh, Brian Simmons, and of course, uh, Mike Jarzebeck. Uh, all those guys really have been doing an incredible job with it. So if you uh, are unfamiliar, we got a Facebook page for Masonic Curators now. There's YouTube videos. I think they drop every Monday and they just get cooler and cooler. So um, thanks very much. Nice. All right. Thanks, Robert. Jason, over to you. Mm. What was the question? Final thoughts. No final question. I left it open. We 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 already talked about adding or subtracting. I couldn't think of any good ones this people week. People are <clears throat> people are dropping off the YouTube stream. Well, as soon as uh, we get to you, they our do. Ratings. Yeah, I That's I right. know I I can't help it. Face for radio, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um. This was a fantastic conversation. This was a discussion I've wanted to have for a long time. Um, <clears throat> it's always interesting to figure out how you define a system of morality along ecumenical lines because systems of morality are inherently divisive and sectarian. When you say do this not that you are creating a division um and so you know i think where freemasonry has faltered especially in the past 10 years has been along the lines of trying to too closely define what is and is not part of the masonic morality and we've done episodes on moral absolutism versus moral relativism and i don't have an answer on like what the masonic morality should be or uh shouldn't be but freemasonry has to continue to play a delicate balance of setting those guard posts or guideposts up so that we are truly able to make ourselves better men and better human beings, but not at the cost of becoming more divisive and more exclusionary. Um, one of the great things about Freemasonry is the, <clears throat> you know, the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. And that ecumenicalism is, I think, a, a, a really, really great thing, especially in today's society and, and today's world. And it would be a shame to lose that ecumenical nature of, of the organization because we too closely align our version of Masonic morality with our own version of uh, organized religious dictated morality. And I don't have an answer, but it's something to think about. Love it. Thanks, Jason.
Joe. I don't even remember what I was going to say. Um, after the 10th time Jason said ecumenical, my brain just went. <laughs> so. Um, it means tolerant and open. I know what it means. You said it a lot. I oh. like that word. It makes me feel intelligent. <laughs> so I'm going to be much more brief uh, and just say that, um, you know, uh, for me, the dogma. You're failing at being brief. I hate you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> for me, the, the dogma of Freemasonry is. You know, no matter what faith system you're a part of, it's just follow the golden rule, right? Every single faith system out there follows the golden rule. Do that and follow Will Wheaton's law and you will be a better person. The people around you will be better for it. And, you know, if you believe in it tomorrow, maybe it'll be better than it was today. Um, I don't have anything to plug. I love each and every single one of you, no matter what you believe. And uh, stay classy. Stay classy, San Diego. Awesome. I'm going to say, let's add, let's add this one in. Let's just make it official. Don't be a jerk. It's the, it's the easiest thing to do and yet the hardest thing to prescribe. But yeah, um, I think it was a great discussion on some of the constraints that we think are either implied or, or explicit in Freemasonry. And so it's something to think about that although we, we are many things to many people, there are constraints that make our system ours and not just a collection of other types of belief systems. And so if we're really trying to have like-minded individuals together, we should set some loose guardrails on the outside just to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we are of one mind in that aspect. And so, uh, I think there, there are times where constraints are good. There's obviously many times where constraints are bad. And so the sweet spot is trying to figure out where those are. And I think, you know, with a fraternity fraternity that's lasted 300 plus years, I think we're doing a, a, a pretty good job on on the uh, the longevity as proof. But you know, we'll see what the next 300 years is, or the next 2040. 20 years, right? 2040. 2040. Prove me wrong. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much for watching, and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow.